Good morning, my friends. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. What a privilege it is, and you have no idea how much it means to me. But every morning and every evening during this very difficult time, I can sit down with you and just talk with you about how wonderful God is. Just keep your attention focused on Jesus. Every morning and every evening, we start with Psalms 91. Some of us didn't spend a lot of time with Psalms 91 before all of this because, you know what, life has been good. But this is a psalm that Christians have hung on to and the people of God have hung on to for thousands of years. In the hard times, God is with us. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. So frontliners, you're, you're seeing some of this these days but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place now, because you've chosen to live in God, to be in Christ, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed, did you hear that? Shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you. Now just think about that for a minute. Paul says that angels are ministering spirits that have been sent to us, the, the heirs of salvation. You and I can't see angels. Well, at least we don't know that we've ever seen one. I know people that walk around seeing angels every five minutes, and I think, ah. Okay, yeah, okay. But we do see angels, but maybe we don't even know they're angels. Paul talks about that also. We entertain angels unaware. But there are angels. There is the reality of a spirit realm. And these angels have been sent to minister to us, to guard you in all your ways. And so many of you are concerned. I got an email just a little while ago from one of our members. Both of their children are frontliners, they're doctors. And for all the frontliners, whether they're bankers or they're med techs or they're policemen or they're security guards or they're nurses, for all the frontliners, please, this is a promise of God for you. You can't stay at home where the promise, no plague shall come near your home. You have to be out in the middle of it all. He will command his angels concerning you. God has given a command to angels about you. Frontliners, listen to me. He's given a command to angels about you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adler, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love. Now notice, seven promises. I just write them in the side of my Bible, one through seven. Because he hold fast to me in love, number one, I will deliver him. Now, none of this is earned. This is all relationship. See, everything you got to understand about God is it's about relationship. Because he hold fast to me in love, number one, I will deliver him. Number two, I will protect him because he knows my name. Number three, when he calls to me, I will answer him. Number four, I will be with him in trouble. Number five, I will rescue him and honor him. Number six, with long life, I will satisfy him. Number seven, and show him my salvation. Father, <laughs> your great and precious promises. Father, we don't even begin to comprehend your goodness. Our our little minds, Lord, can't even begin to see what's happening all around us in the spirit realm as you watch over us, as you protect us. There's an unseen hand of God that rests upon our life. Angels that go before us and that surround us. 
the love of God that surrounds us, the faithfulness of God that is our shield. Father, we have human words for these things, but they don't even begin to explain what is happening right now in the spirit realm all around us. We thank you that you are a God that just bottom line watches over us, that your eyes are moving to and fro throughout this whole earth right now, strongly supporting those whose hearts are fully yours. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your hand of protection. We thank you that this virus shall not come near our homes. It shall not come near our bodies, Lord, as we have to go out and about and help other people. Father, we thank you for your great hand upon our lives. And Father, we thank you that you walk with us through the fire and you walk with us through the flood. You don't abandon us in the fire. You don't abandon us in the flood. You, you walk with us through the fire. You walk with us through the flood and you bring us into the wealthy place. Father, lift the heads of your people today. You are the God of eternal encouragement. You're the God who's called the lifter of our heads. Some are discouraged today, Father. It's, it's been difficult. Lift their heads today, Lord. Put your encouragement down deep within their souls. Father, let them feel your hand lifting them right now. Put in hope. You're the God of eternal encouragement. Fill their hearts with all joy and fill their hearts with peace and touch them by the power of the Holy Ghost right now to, to cause their hearts to explode in hope again. This thing shall pass, Father and we shall see your goodness in the land of the living. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts. Let's stand and lift our heart upon our hands and worship him this morning.
Our New Testament passage today begins in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. While you're turning there, let me encourage all the husbands and wives. Normally life is so incredibly busy. And we spend hours in traffic every day. And when we get home, there's not much of us left to give to each other or to our kids. I mean, we're exhausted. We're worn out. Well, there's no traffic. Everybody's staying at home. I mean, there are dogs sleeping in the middle of Edsa right now. I can't believe some of the pictures that people have sent me. There are dogs sleeping in the middle of Edsa. So in this time when things are quiet and there is no traffic, and I know the kids are a little chaotic, I, I understand. But husbands and wives spend some time together even if all you do is sit at the same table working at the same place, just, you know, you're both working for stuff right now, you've got office work that you have to do. Even if you just sit at the same table with each other and work and once in a while go over and hug each other and kiss each other, just be together right now. Let, let this be a special time. All right, would you open your Bibles, please? To Luke chapter eight, Luke chapter eight, beginning with verse one. Afterwards, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 are with him. So now it's not just disciples with him, the 12 are with him. The, the 12 that are called to be trained. He's, he's spending the next several years, everywhere he goes with these people, he, he trains them and develops them. Now, you wonder why we changed the Bible college. We no longer have a Bible college. We have a school of pastoral studies because I began to look at some of the fruit that was coming out of our own Bible school. And I thought, you know, this isn't any different than when I went to Bible school or when I went to university. Young people take classes, then play the rest of the time. They, they never learn the lifestyle of ministry. When they, they have to step into ministry, they fail pretty quickly because they've never learned the lifestyle. They've learned the doctrines, but they've never learned the life. So notice when Jesus trained the 12, he, he didn't just say, all right, come to class every day with me for a few hours and then you can go play. Everywhere he went, they went. They learned the lifestyle of ministry. Oh, there's a big difference. And also, some of the women who have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Now, list some of these ladies. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Now, can you imagine a woman? And she's known for the fact that she had seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Now, before you think that that is strange, remember, Galilee is where Herod had his palace in a city called Sephori. Now, he also built Tiberias and had a palace there, but primarily his palace at this time was in Sephori. So it'd be very known, it'd be very obvious for Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. I mean, this was the area they lived in. And Susanna and many others. So it's not just a few, not just these ladies that had demons cast out. Jesus didn't have a little harem traveling around with him, like I heard one person try to say. And many others who provided for them, who's them, Jesus and the 12, out of their means. And that refers to material support. I want you just to park on that thought for just a moment because it's amazing how people with a limited knowledge of the Bible, and I say limited, not, not disrespectfully, but, but honestly, they have a limited knowledge of the Bible and they talk about how Jesus never received anything from anybody. You know, Jesus, Jesus was a giver. Jesus never had anybody support him. Well, well really? I mean, I could walk you through the scriptures and show you all the places, but here's one of the most beautiful illustrations. There was a group of people that traveled along with Jesus and the 12, and out of their abundance, they took care of the whole team. They provided for Jesus. They bought Jesus food. They bought Jesus the things that he needed to get by with. They also paid for the apostles, provided for them out of their means. This is financial support. So, you know, people came to Jesus and gave to Jesus. So, you know, we need to, we need to get out of people's lack of understanding. But there's something even far more important here. Notice how it specifies the names of these women. 
Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna. Where do you see these names again? In chapter 24, at the crucifixion. Now, it's fascinating to me. These women, along with others, they provided for Jesus. They, they gave to Jesus on a regular basis. And their hearts followed their treasure right to the end. When all the others walked away, these people followed Jesus right to the end. You see, Jesus said, it's, it's not your treasure that follows your heart. It's your heart that follows your treasure. And as they provided for Jesus and cared for Jesus out of their own means, their heart followed their treasure all the way to the crucifixion. Now that to me is a fascinating thought. Verse four. When a great crowd had gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in the parable, so in the middle of all these crowds, a sower went out to sow his seed and he sowed. Some fell along the path that was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, so that in hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, and this is, this is one of the primary parables of Christianity that you need to understand. The seed is the word of God. Now there's a principle there. The word of God has life in it. The word of God has life in it. The, the Bible is not like any other book in the universe. When I was a young Bible school student, the big debate among theologians was, shall we teach the Bible or shall we teach biblical theology? Now, thankfully, my generation, they taught us Bible. But in later generations, they changed in the school and started teaching biblical theology. Now, the difference between the two is simply this. When you study the Bible, you study the Bible. Biblical theology is books that are written about the Bible. So you know what somebody else says about it rather than know what it says itself. As I was explaining to a young pastor the other day, there is no life in a theology book. <laughs> a theology book is not a living book. There is life in the word of God. Don't teach theology, teach the Bible. There's life. The word of God is a seed. There's inherent life within it. When it gets planted in somebody's life, it grows. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, notice that this occurs prior to a decision for salvation. It says, so that they may not believe and be saved. So this is prior. So there are people that hear the gospel. They hear the word of God. The word of God is planted in their heart, but immediately there is a battle. And it, it's amazing to me how right, like right now, everybody wants to curse demons and scream at the devil about the coronavirus. Please forgive me, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Jesus won the battle. That kind of screaming at demons doesn't do any good. The greatest spiritual battle happens during the preaching of the gospel, not during a plague. The, the greatest battle takes place as the good news of salvation is presented. As soon as salvation is presented, it doesn't say a demon comes, it says the devil comes. If you want to know what the devil occupies himself doing today, it's, it's not in Christians' lives. Christians go around all the time saying, the devil made me do it. It's not my fault. Yeah, I don't believe the devil is very occupied in Christians' lives. But I do believe he's very occupied in his own kingdom, in the lives of people who are given the opportunity to leave him, to leave his kingdom. Now, look at it like this. Satan is not fighting an offensive battle. I mean, please, he's defeated. 
Okay, some of you need to change your brain about the devil. He's not this powerful, victorious thing. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. The devil is not fighting this, this advancing, conquering battle. He's fighting a strategic retreat. And now, now just think about that for a minute. The devil's primary function today is strategic retreat, holding on to what he has. Oh, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. He focuses on those in his kingdom that are having the privilege of hearing the gospel. And as soon as that seed is planted in their heart, the devil comes, not a demon. The devil comes and takes the word from their hearts. Because if it's left there, there's life in it and it's going to grow. Now you need to get, you just need to think about that one for a minute. The devil cannot let the gospel stay in the heart of one of his people, of one of his kingdom, because there's life in that seed. If he leaves it there, it's going to grow. So as part of his defensive strategic retreat, he's going around trying to get the word of God out of every person's heart who hears. This is his primary, from everything I can see in scripture, this is Satan's primary function today in the new covenant kingdom. He is going around inside his kingdom, trying to hang on to what he has, stealing the word out of people's hearts as quick as he hears it. Ah, that'll preach. That, that's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Okay, they've received the word of God. It's been planted in their hearts, but they have no root. So the seed begins to produce, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing or temptation, fall away. Now, the Greek word here for time is not chronos, meaning literal physical time. It's karios, K-A-I-R-O-S. It means a season. In a season of temptation, they fall away. Now, one of the things you and I have to understand about temptation is temptation doesn't just, and it's over. There are seasons of temptation, like Jesus for 40 days in the wilderness. There are seasons of temptation, and then it's over. Satan departed Jesus until the opportune time. But there are seasons of temptation. Now, when a person first gets born again, very quickly on, there will be a season of temptation. And that season of temptation is planned by the demonic kingdom to cause them to fall away. So they've gotten saved. They, they made a decision to hang on to the word. Satan couldn't take it away from people who wanted to hang on to it. But then there was a persistent follow-up in Satan's kingdom where a season of temptation came. This is why we really have to work with people on some of the vices and things right after they first get saved because there's gonna be some real, real temptations that come along. And, and not just an instant thing, but a season of temptation. As for that which fell among the thorns, they are those who they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, now the translation says, as they live their lives, they are choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now notice, evidently these people are saved, but their fruit does not mature. Now, that's a very complicated thing to get into, but let me just try to put it simply. There are people, there are Christians, They've heard the word of God, and remember John 8, we become his disciples by hearing and holding on to his words. You know, people say, Pastor Summerall, were you discipled? I was discipled the instant I made a decision to hold the word of God in my heart. Discipleship is not a long-term process. A person becomes a disciple the instant, John 8, verses 30 to 33, the instant they just make a decision to hold the word of God in their hearts then they know by experience the truth, and that truth sets them free, this change brought about in their life. But now there are people that after they go through this, as they go on their life, as they live their life, the cares of this life, the riches of this world, and the pleasures of life start crowding out the word of God that was planted in their life. This is where you get casual, carnal, convenient Christianity. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we just have to push through all of that. Now, forgive me, but thank God for all the good things he has done for us. 
thank God for all the good things. I mean, we've been through poverty together back in the 80s and 90s. And I look around and I see our families beginning to prosper. I see our families moving into their own into, into new homes. They're, they're moving out of little tiny places and they're moving into a place that's a spacious place and it's quiet and peaceful and restful. And, you know, forgive me, there is pleasure in sitting down in your own sala. <laughs> There's pleasure in having running water. You go in to take a bath, you go in to take a shower and you turn the faucet rather than walk up the street and bring buckets back. I mean, forgive me, that's pleasure. But the pleasures of life, the riches of this life, the cares. You know, when you have no money, there's nothing to worry about. When you have money, you got to start thinking about money, and it's an, almost an irritation. But you have to be careful. These don't keep the word from maturing within your life. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. There's that John 8, verse 30 to 33. In an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Now, each of us as Christians bear fruit. We show our discipleship. We become a disciple by holding fast. We show our discipleship by bearing fruit, but we bear fruit with patience. You don't grow a harvest instantly. You walk in and begin to sow the seed. You walk in and begin to evangelize. It takes time to bear some fruit. Verse 16, Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So he said, hey, this is local church. You are a lamp that burns and gives light. Jesus says, all right, you're born again. I've lit you. I've set you ablaze. You are a lamp that burns and gives light. But he said, I, I don't hide you. I don't cover you up with a jar. I don't hide you under a bed. He said, no, I put you on a stand. Revelation chapter one, the last verse, Revelation chapter two, the first three verses, show us that a lampstand is the local church. Jesus said, as soon as you've done this, I join you together with other people so that those who enter may see the light. He says, it's all about spreading the gospel. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest and nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. Now he's saying here, the light is put on a stand and the light makes everything clear. The light reveals everything. Now, I want you just to back up and see several applications of this truth. One of the things that we understand as Christians is the light, the word of God, makes everything clear. It brings everything, it brings truth out. But there's something else I want you to see here. Never try to live a life of secrets. Live your life very openly. Now, I think our generation does a better job with that than previous generations, because with the internet and everything, you, you cannot hide. I mean, who you are gets known to everybody. You, you know, everybody's got a picture of Instagram or Facebook or something of where you were. You, you can't hide. Like in the old days, there were no cell phones, there were no cameras. You know, it might take six months or six years for your parents to hear you were someplace. But in today's world, instant. I want to challenge you. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But live a life that you don't care what people see. And it's not because you don't care that you're doing bad. It's that you have nothing to hide. Quite a few years ago now, somebody broke into my office on a Friday night during the service and stole my computer thinking that they would find some dirt on me by stealing my, my personal laptop. And I had a good chuckle and I thought, well, they're going to see who I am. At some point, you just have to learn. I'm not perfect, but I am who I am, and I have nothing to hide. This is a very free way to live. See, secret sin, and I've had relatives that have been involved in this. Secret sin takes up space. And because it takes up space, and because sin always grows, you wind up pushing people who love you farther and farther away so that you can have your private space that you need for your secret sin. And before long, you get very lonely. I've watched people go through this. And I've looked at their relatives and I said, they love you. It's their secret sin that needed space that pushed you away. Now, if you want to have a wonderful life with lots of people around you, 
and end your life surrounded by your children and your grandchildren laughing and playing. Don't have secret sin in your life. Everything that is hidden shall be revealed. So just go ahead and be who you are. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has will be given more, and the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Now, this is one of the greatest truths and the greatest ignored truth of learning in the world today. Jesus is very clear. Take care how you hear. If you use what you learn, more will be given to you. If you do not use what you learn, even what you have will be taken from you. Now, think about it in a logical way. When I was a young man studying accounting, we didn't have calculators yet. We didn't have calculators until my senior year. We were expected to be able to do numbers in our head. And so part of accounting was a board of numbers that was placed on the wall. And we had to be able to walk down that wall and just in our heads, add it up in our heads as we went down the wall. And that was part of our grade. I mean, a big board of big blackboard. We didn't have whiteboard, big blackboard of numbers. You know what? I was really good at that. You know, today, I, I'm not good at that. I, I grab my phone and pull out my calculator. I'm going, this is embarrassing, man. I used to run numbers in my head all the time. What you don't use, you lose. Think of all that you have forgotten. Man, if I were to sit down and try to do calculus right now, boy, it's been 40 years since I looked at some of that stuff. If I was to sit down and start to run those formulas, forget it. I would be completely lost. What you don't use, you lose. Now, we understand that when it comes to calculus. Do you remember the periodic table? At one point in my life, I had it completely memorized. Do you even remember the periodic table? Me neither. What you do not use, you lose. Now, we understand that in the natural. The same is true in the spiritual. If you don't use truths of healing, they're lost. If you don't use truths of the gifts of the spirit, they're lost. If you don't use truths of giving and receiving, they're lost. If you don't use truths of revival, they're lost. If you don't use truths of salvation, the doctrines of salvation are lost in many groups of Christians today. Many groups, well, I would say Christians, but many religious groups today. The doctrines are lost. And then a revival comes along and God restores truth in his mercy. So I encourage you, whenever you learn something, figure out how do I integrate and assimilate this into my life? When you learn something, don't just, oh, that's a nice little fact. Sit down and say, how do I live this? This is why I talk to you in your, your go groups. The weekend is proclamation. Go groups are application. You sit down and discuss. I tell the connect group leaders, don't just sit there and preach them the same sermon. They, they've already heard the sermon. Discuss, how do we apply this in our lives? Again, the weekend is proclamation. During the week is application. Because if we don't integrate it and assimilate it into our lives, Truth is lost. Verse 19, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, that's true family. True family are people who hear the word of God and do it. Now, do not take that truth and stretch it like a rubber band until truth becomes untruth. At the cross, Jesus looked at his disciple whom he loved and said, here's your mother. Mother, here's your son. He made sure that his mama was taken care of. So please don't, don't take this truth and stretch it like a rubber band. But Jesus is trying to teach us that there are priorities. You know, I know churches that will teach people, you listen to your pastor, not your parents. You'll never hear me say things like that. It, it will never happen. God has given us a biological family. And there are requirements. Honor your father and mother that are part of being a part of that family. But God has also given us a spiritual family. And we need to recognize that too. So there's a balance in this thing that we all need to understand. But don't take these truths and stretch them like a rubber band. All right. Let's go back and have one more song of worship. 
Well, we took a little too much time in math in, in Luke, New Testament, but we'll try to move quickly through Deuteronomy today. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. The whole commandments that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Now notice the word whole. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land the Lord your God swore to give to your forefathers. Now again, I always use circle the word that or so that. It shows purpose. We talked about the purpose of the commandments. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Now just back up, whole commandments, whole way. You and I have to be very careful in life that we don't do what I call partial obedience and partial remembrance, okay? That's just a little thought to think about there. Verse three, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your forefathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, these are the verses that Jesus quoted after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. He said that you can know this. You can know that man doesn't live just by the stuff in this world. He said, I'm going to teach you dependency. Now, there's a few lessons that we learn in what I call dependent living lessons. Now, this is the first of those lessons of dependency. When and, and, you know, believe me, every Christian at some point goes through this in their life where they, they learn hand-to-mouth trusting God every day. Now, let me say that again. They learn hand-to-mouth trusting God every day. Now, God doesn't want it to last for 40 years. 
God only intended it to be a short duration coming into the promised land. Their rebellion made it last a lot longer. Now, that's a truth to go meditate on some other time. But notice, in this dependency living, they learned, you don't live by stuff. You live by God's word. That he, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Wow, for 40 years. They were fed, their clothes didn't wear out. Now, notice, independency living, <laughs> you also are required to have contentment. <laughs> your, their clothes didn't wear out, but they didn't get any new clothes for 40 years. They didn't get any new fashion statements for 40 years. See, it was never supposed to last for 40 years. It was just supposed to be, I brought you out to bring you in. But in this period of dependency living, before they came into abundance, and again, prosperity people don't like me to teach this. This is why people say, you're a prosperity preacher. I say, yes, I do preach prosperity. But prosperity people don't like it when I teach things like this because there is a path into prosperity. And that path into prosperity is you walk through a journey of dependency. Now, it doesn't have to last that long. It was only supposed to bring you out to bring you in. But in that bring you out to bring you in, which got extended to 40 years for their rebellion, they had to learn contentment. They had to learn, you know, you don't have to have the latest fashion. The same 40-year-old fashion is fine today. They had to learn to wear the same shoes and the same clothes and eat the same food every day. Now, brothers and sisters, Forgive me. This is something that every believer needs to learn. Otherwise, you start, your heart starts going after other things. Okay, you start, nothing is ever enough. You're, you're never satisfied. But if, you, if you've gone through dependency for a season, and it doesn't have to be a long season, where you learn contentment with what you have, you learn to eat the same food every day, you learn to wear the same clothes every day, for 40 years. It had to be that long. But as you learn that contentment, you learn that, you know, we don't live by the stuff of this world. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there's, there's an incredible truth there that I wish we had more time to explore. But that, that, is, that is just an incredible thing to learn. Know that in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Everyone he loves, he disciplines, Paul says. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in all his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing with the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Now notice. You've got a season of dependency, but I'm bringing you into a place where there is no scarcity in which you will lack nothing. Now, this is the life that he wants to bring us into. This is the abundant life. This is the prosperity life. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, there's, there's the goal. Now, please, brothers and sisters, some of you have never gone through this season yet, but you're, you're about to. Others of you, you've been through the season. You know what I'm talking about. And it doesn't have to last long, please. He brought them out to bring them in. This could have been a very quick lesson. It was their rebellion that made this lesson last for 40 years. He only intended their clothes and their shoes to last for the journey. He only intended to feed the manna during the journey. Remember, the manna stopped as soon as they walked into the land. It doesn't have to last long. But don't fight this thing. When God takes you into a season of dependency and you learn to eat the same food and wear the same clothes and be content with it, and you learn that God provides, and you learn that I don't live based on this stuff, these clothes, this these chairs, it doesn't matter what I have. It doesn't matter whether I'm in a fancy house or a cheap house. It doesn't matter whether I'm driving a Mercedes-Benz or a Toyota. It doesn't matter. I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, when you learn that lesson of contentment, then you come into this place where there is no scarcity, 
where you lack nothing, where there's total abundance, <laughs> and you bless the Lord your God. You bless the Lord your God. Every day of my life, and I would say that maybe once in a while I'd forget, but every day of my life, I lift my hands before the Lord. Say, God, who am I that you've done such good things for me as this? God, I remember, I remember those years. Look at what you've done for me. And I look at the families in our church. I look at so many of you. And I remember the days of poverty together. I remember the days of visiting your home and there was no, <laughs> there was no food in the refrigerator. There was no refrigerator. I'd visit you in your home and the lights were off because you couldn't afford to keep the lights on. So all during the day, the lights were off. You only turned on the lights and one light bulb in the evening. We remember those days. In those days, we learned to trust God. We learned to be content. We learned that we, we don't have to have the newest, coolest pair of tennis shoes or the latest, coolest branded t-shirt that's cost 15,000 for a t-shirt that I can buy the same thing in Divisoria for 50 pesos. I mean, we learned. Oh, pastor, you're getting nosy. I know I am. These are important lessons because everybody's gonna walk the journey. He will bring you into a place without scarcity, a place of abundance. But you're gonna learn first the lesson. We don't live by the stuff of this world. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 11, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. Now he said, notice, take care. Here's this, don't forget again. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. There's those warnings about forgetfulness. By not keeping his commandments, his rules and statutes. All right, how do we forget? We, we manifest our forgetfulness by disobedience. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when, you are, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up and you forget. You get proud. You get stinking arrogant. This is why Paul said, Timothy, teach those that are rich not to be arrogant. Your heart gets lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, the thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your forefathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Every one of God's tests is to do us good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this well. Now, Moses repetitively through the rest of this passage talks to us about saying in your heart, brothers and sisters, if you're going to talk to yourself, at least correct yourself. <laughs> now you've heard me say that before. So let me say it again. If you're going to talk to yourself, at least correct yourself. Don't allow arrogant, prideful thoughts to go unchallenged in your own mind and heart. If you're gonna to talk to yourself, answer yourself. Nobody else can correct you if it's just a thought of the heart. If you don't learn to be self-correcting of the thoughts of your heart, those, those thoughts grow. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as is this day. So when you start feeling arrogant one day, it's going, look what I've accomplished. Let me testify and tell everybody about what I've done. Uh, you need to say, shut up. <laughs> you need to just remind yourself, everything I have is because of God's goodness and mercy that he's brought to my life. Everything I have is because God gave me the power to get wealth. You choose to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time, as the scripture says. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Chapter 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, 
You are to cross over the Jordan today to go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. Folks, you need to just learn in life. There's always people tougher than you. There's always people stronger than you. There's always people richer than you. There's always people that have more ability than you. When I was a boy, I fought a lot. I got in a lot of trouble as a boy. But you know, one of the things you learn when you're a boy who fights a lot is there's always somebody who can whip you. <laughs> there's always somebody who can beat your butt. And believe me, I had my butt beat many times. No matter how tough you think you are, there's always somebody tougher and stronger. No matter how capable you think you are, there's always somebody more capable. No matter how smart you think you are, there's always somebody who's got a bigger IQ than you do. So they're greater and mightier than yourselves. Cities great and fortified up to heaven. A people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Now, common wisdom. This is what the world said. Nobody can defeat these people. But God said, you're going to beat them because I'm with you. So sometimes you have to dismiss conventional wisdom and follow what God says. Ah, that's a nice application of that. Dismiss conventional wisdom and follow what God has said. Verse three, know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart, there's that talking to yourself again. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them up before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me to possess this land. Whereas he said, it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. He said, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations the Lord is driving out before them. Now, get a hold of this, brothers and sisters. When God gives you something that has belonged to somebody else, like in the parable of the talents, it's not because you're all special. It's not because you're all favorite. It's because they no longer qualified for stewardship. So humble yourself. Otherwise, one day you may find yourself unqualified for the stewardship. And confirm the word the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Verse 6. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. He said, now, come on, guys. Face the reality of who you are. Face the reality of your life. You are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. But I went up to the mountains to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made for you. I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate neither bread nor drank water. And the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Now, that would be cool. Wouldn't it be cool to have been up there and watched God use his finger? I mean, you know, we use a pen today. We use a stylus. We write on the cell phone with our finger. God wrote on the stone with his finger. The original, as one young person said jokingly, the original tablet. The Lord has spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, arise and go quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly from out of the way I have commanded them. They have made themselves a golden calf. Now, I'm going to stop there today because we, we've run out of time. But let me just come over to just two thoughts very quickly. Verse 19, and the Lord listened to me at that time. It's amazing how God listens to leaders when they pray for his people. And I also want you to look at verse 28. Lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land. He said, God, I'm asking you, to forgive these people for your name's sake, lest the land from which you delivered them, lest Egypt say God couldn't keep his promise, so God killed him in the wilderness. Now, Moses said, God, I'm really concerned about your name. I'm concerned about your reputation. 
It's not true that you couldn't bring them in, but that's what people are going to say. Sometimes I wish as Christians we were more concerned about the reputation of God and the reputation of his name in the world than our own. That's something to think about today. Father, I bring to you your sons and daughters. We've looked at so much truth today. <laughs> your word is just overflowing, Lord, and we just barely scratched the surface. I ask that even during this time, give them a hunger for the word, a hunger for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me encourage you. We're into this second week. Can I encourage you to spend maybe 30 minutes in prayer, morning, noon, and night? I call it the Daniel pattern of prayer. Morning, noon, and night, you spend about 30 minutes seeking God, praying for all the frontliners, praying for God's hand of protection upon every believer across the world. Let this be, this, this is the cry of my heart. Let this be a time of distinction. Let the world see that it is different to be a Christian, that God's hand is on our lives. This is the great prayer, the great cry of my heart right now. We'll see you tonight, seven o'clock.